You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. This morning we're beginning a new series on the Sermon on the Mount for the next seven weeks. And I'm calling it the Savior on the Mount because I think that oftentimes we read this greatest of all sermons with inattention blindness. I want to define that term, inattention blindness. There was a study done at Harvard a little bit more than a decade ago, and you may have seen the video that came out of it went viral. Uh, The study involved uh, six people playing basketball in the psychology department in front of some elevators. Three were in white shirts, three were in black shirts, and they were passing the ball among themselves. And uh, the, um, the people that were being Uh, invited into this study were asked to watch the video, count the number of times that people, players wearing white shirts passed the ball uh, within this game. And and, uh, so they did that and most of the subjects got the number right after watching this brief video and then the researchers asked, um, did you see anything unusual in the video? And the subjects usually said no and and they said, well, did, did you see Anybody there other than the players? And they, and they said, uh, no. And then they asked, did you see the gorilla? And they said, the gorilla? And they show them the video, and maybe you've, you've seen this video. For nine seconds, uh, a student in a gorilla outfit walks out into the middle of this play, stands there, looks directly at the camera, thumps her chest, and then walks off. Half the subjects, then and as this continues, unless you've heard, uh, you've heard about it in advance, you could test yourself, do not see... The gorilla, because it's so focused on the the counting task that you're blind. It's inattention blindness. Now, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, even though I know it's the most elegant of all sermons ever preached on human lips, I find myself reacting in one of two ways, with um, disappointment or guilt. Oh my gosh, I could never live that life that Jesus describes there. Or, oh my gosh, I've totally destroyed my track record. Might as well not even try. Now, when I do that, what I show is I'm really much more focused on tasks, counting things. How many times have I done this or that? Or how many times will I? Or frankly, just me. And I miss. I don't even see Jesus, the Savior, who's present in the sermon. There would be no sermon on the mount without the Savior who's on the mount. That's not just because Jesus is the preacher. That's because Jesus assumes that he, the Savior, has come to empower this community to live in the way that he describes in his sermon. Matthew himself tells us how to read the Sermon on the Mount when in the verses just preceding the sermon, in Matthew 4, 23, he says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And curing every disease and every sickness, every sickness among the people. See, for Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount is nothing more, nothing less than good news. And when I don't read it like that, I'm sure the reason is that I'm missing Jesus Christ. I'm not seeing the Savior behind the sermon. And so what I'd love to do together uh, these next seven weeks is read this text, but also ask two questions each week. And in your small groups, I hope you'll wrestle with these two questions. Your answers may be different from mine. That's even better. But the first is, who is the Savior behind the sermon? In each text, who is the Savior behind the sermon? And then how? 
how does the sermon invite us to live with Jesus' good news? So the who and the how. Let's begin uh, reading the way Jesus begins with the Beatitudes. And uh, you'll find that on page 875 of your Pew Bible. If you brought your own, that's great. Open up to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I want you to notice this morning that our Savior begins with a benediction. It's odd. We usually get the benediction at the end. Jesus starts there with the benediction. He gives us a blessing. Would you stand and let's read God's word aloud together. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. The other day I was riding my bicycle uh, down a hill, long, steep hill, and uh, there was an uphill on the other side. I just let the, the bike run, and I love to do that. Um, I was hitting terminal speed near the bottom of the hill when at an intersection a truck pulled out right in front of me. It was a construction site and this is one of those large trucks that has a, a ramp that should be flat. I think it holds a, a metal container but the ramp was up like this kind of going over the cab of the truck. And it, uh, I was coming up on it so quickly that my first reaction, I almost thought my best option here is to hit the bottom of that ramp and just go shooting over the top of the cab. <laughs> And I was a little nervous about that, but uh, fortunately, he, the driver, had seen me uh, just before pulling out, but it was too late for him to stop, so he gunned it. He, hit, he put his accelerator to the floor, and he's, this huge diesel truck starts moving in front of me pretty quickly, so I, and I, I'm trying to put the brakes on as quickly as I can. And uh, what happened was the, the top of this ramp hit a tree. Uh, and so there's this huge cloud of debris and dust, and it, it, you know, it dropped down right into my face. And so here I am, all of a sudden, I can't really see anything. My gl glasses are covered with silt, and I've got it in my mouth. I'm inhaling this stuff, and I, I want to wipe it off my face, but I don't want to let go of the brakes because I'm still trying to decelerate. So I just kind of gut it out. And, uh, and then, just as I get my first breath of fresh air, there's another tree. Bam! This thing hits the second tree, and it, and it hits a third tree. Which, and the third tree had a lower branch. It knocks the branch, tore it right off of the tree. It swung down right in front of me. I dodged this. And I'm thinking, starting to get philosophical about this. <laughs> this is a lot like life. 
Actually, my first thought was, this is a lot like my leadership style. But, but going from one crisis to the next, bam, bam, bam. Not able to breathe, hardly able to gain orientation for the cloud of dust that is in my face. Maybe you've had a day like this this week. Maybe you've had a week like this this week. Maybe you've had a month or a decade like this. Talk to somebody this week, 80-year-old. She's been caring for her sister who has mental illness for five decades. Life is hard. You know that? The first sentence of Scott Peck's book. Life is hard. And so it's so important that when Jesus Christ opens his mouth to give the greatest of all service, that we pay attention, not just to what he says, but who he is. And when Jesus begins to speak, as Matthew tells us in verse 2, Jesus speaks a benediction, a blessing. I want you to get this right away. It's so important. Jesus does not give us here a catalog of virtues. A list of qualities to which his followers are to aspire. He doesn't give us if-then statements. You know, if you're meek, then this will happen. He doesn't give us a list of how-tos. How to find your way into heaven. This is not the entry requirements for the program that Jesus is announcing. It's a benediction. Jesus wants to bless you. And if we cannot see that when we read this section, then I think we're suffering from inattention, blindness. We're looking in the wrong place. We're not looking for good news. We're looking just because everybody else seems to want something from us for a God who does not meet us in grace, but who engages us in law. And that's the way, it's not the way our Savior began his sermon. The... Um, Perhaps the foremost commentators on the Gospel of Matthew, scholars who are in print right now, Davies and Allison, say this. Uh, the whole point of the Beatitudes is to put grace before imperative, greeting before confrontation, blessing before demand. And we need to hear that in our lives. I want to say this is not a catalog of virtues. This is a list of contexts. It's a survey of the contexts of brokenness in which we find our lives. We don't create them. Jesus doesn't say, go out there and see if you can get persecuted this week. Um, I don't, you know, I, sometimes we read that this way. We say, well, how could I be really poor? What could I do to make myself poor? Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I, I, I want to talk to those of you who already know that you're poor. Who already know that you're persecuted. Jesus is assuming that this is the context in which his hearers are, are listening. These are the clouds that are bursting over our heads saying, bam, 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 that disorient us. Look at this list together with me, just very briefly. When we are poor in spirit, we are people who have hearts that are so broken by the loss of things and people that are just absolutely dear to us. When we are those who... Uh, um, um, sorry, when we, when we are, um, when we mourn, we are those who are, have hearts who are broken. What I mean to say about when those who are poor, in, when we are poor in spirit is that we are people who have utterly lost faith and even the will to pray. We're spiritually exhausted. That's what poor in spirit means. When we're meek, that's a time when we're 
facing the powers and principalities of life and life's impossible challenges that just loom over us and cast a great shadow on our lives and we feel impossibly small. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not a virtue. It's not that we're good people. Why would we hunger and thirst for it? To hunger and thirst for righteousness means we yearn for something that we don't have and that we feel is absolutely out of our reach. Righteousness has eluded us. We're starving for a moral character we can't seem to find. When we're merciful, we are those who are living all too close to pain and tragedy. And we're aware, deeply aware of the vulnerability of our own lives. When we're pure in heart. Everything about us, our emotional life in particular, is being focused by a yearning, a longing for fulfillment that we can't find. When we're a peacemaker, it means that we've been alienated from our kinship. We see that the fabric of family is torn around us and we are caught between warring parties. We're, we're, we're set in the middle of deep conflict and we don't know what to do. When we're persecuted, it means we've been marginalized for our hope. We've been pushed to the side. So, you see, what Jesus is really doing is what any effective communicator would do when they begin a, a message. And that's try to build a bridge between what they want to say and what their audience is already experiencing. These are the contexts of his audience. And I think when he goes through this survey of, of, of brokenness, he would begin to make out faces in the crowds who would suddenly recognize that Jesus is talking about them. And you see, one after another, the penny drops. Oh my gosh, he's talking about my life. It's like he knows me. Because I'm one of those people. And Jesus says, I bless you. I'm here to bless you. This is the good news. The point that I want you to get this morning is that broken people find life within the benedictions of their Savior. That's the good news that Jesus presents with this benediction. Broken people find life within the benedictions, the blessings of their Savior. Two examples of that. One from uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Both in the book, uh, The Two Towers, and in the epic uh, movie that's done, there's a scene in which Gandalf, who appears to be the gray, is really under his cloak, Gandalf the white, which means he's been through death and, and come back to life, uh, blesses the king of Rohan named Theoden. He offers him a benediction. Uh, Gandalf walks into the great hall uh, of Rohan, and he, he, he sees... King Theoden seated on his throne at the far end. He's kind of slumped, he's tired, he's weary, he's gray. And uh, beside him is his advisor, nicknamed Wormtongue. Uh, Wormtongue has been whispering in words in the ear of King Theoden for so long that it's begun to affect Theoden's whole disposition. Wormtongue is, is half-truths. Uh, he, he has played up Theoden's sense of grief or betrayal or fear. And it has become Theoden's reality. And into this, now Gandalf steps. Theoden says, dark have been my dreams of late. As Gandalf approaches to offer this benediction to Theoden, Wormtongue feels threatened. And he confronts Gandalf but Gandalf says, I have not passed through fire and death to bandy crooked words with a serving man to the lightning falls. What 
Gandalf is saying to Wormtongue is, maybe Theoden has been listening to you, but I will not listen to your lies. I don't have any time at all for your words, because Gandalf has his own words to pronounce over the head and life of King Theoden. And in, in, in the book, uh, Gandalf raises his staff and he says uh, his, bless, his blessing with a clap of lightning. He says, too long have you sat, speaking to Theoden, in the shadows and trusted to twisted tales and crooked promptings. Uh, in the movie, he raises his staff and he says, hearken to me, I release you from the spell. And if you remember this scene, you see the, the change in the visage of, of Theoden. He comes back to himself and he begins to uh, join with this quest that Gandalf is on. This is the power of blessing. It's just a few words. But it brings the power of heaven into the life of somebody who is bound up, whose mind has been colonized by un or half truth. Second example is a friend of mine I was talking to this week and he said, George, sometimes I feel this existential loneliness, that's the word he used, um, creeping up on me. And he, he said, in fact, this week, uh, all week I've had the, the uh, lyrics to a song running through my head. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. It's, some of you know this. It's Simon and Garfunkel. This guy's a child of the 60s. And, and uh, I can't get it out. But, you know, here's the thing about this guy. As I've come to know him, I know that he is a man who has learned to live with not his brokenness so much as the benedictions of his Savior. He told me this story. He's a consultant. He travels a lot. And he said, I was coming through this airport in the city and um, I canceled my hotel reservation. Yeah, I had a $200 night room, uh, but I decided, no, you know, I'm just going to go and sleep in the airport on the floor. And he did. He said, you know, the, what do you, the, um, the floor, the electric polisher guy comes by and the custodians, they're shutting down the vendors all night. I'm lying on the floor and I thought, why would you do this? And he said, well, you know, uh, I just had, it was one night. I just had a few hours. It was early morning flight. And I thought, why spend the money and go? And then he said, but you know, George, sometimes I find I just have to connect with who I really am. And I thought about that for a second. I know this guy has gone through um, divorce. I know that he's an alcoholic. And I think what he was really saying to me is, sometimes I need to get into those contexts of darkness where I actually hear the blessing of Jesus Christ. This is a man who knows that God's love for him is absolutely indestructible. It's in those places of, of existential loneliness that he's most clearly been able to hear Jesus Christ say to him, I bless you. I love you. There's nothing that can separate you from my love. And that begins to clear his head. What is a benediction? Well, you can, you can kind of tell from the word benediction if you, you remember your Latin roots, bene, well, or good, and, and dicere, uh, to speak. It's, it's a, it's a well-spoken uh, word. It's a good word. My own definition this morning is this. A, a benediction is an authoritative word of approval for the disposition of goods. Would you think about this for a second? A benediction is an authoritative word of approval for the disposition of goods. In the biblical history, it comes out of the patriarchs. In a patriarchal society, the benediction was the property of 
the father or the grandfather. The word for bless, the Hebrew word for bless, comes from the same word for, for knee, barak. Perhaps because it was euphemistically described of, as sort of the lap of the patriarch from which his children would issue. Or perhaps because when a, a patriarch would bless a child, the child would knee, kneel or sit on the knees. But the point is that a patriarchal blessing involved authority, approval, and the disposition of goods. Not anyone could offer this kind of blessing. It would have to be someone in authority, a father. And not anyone, and this blessing was not just conditional, it was something that was binding. It wouldn't go away, it wouldn't fade. It bound the two parties, father and daughter, father and son. In a binding of approval. And it wasn't just about self-esteem. But it confers property. It was about the disposition of goods. This was really like enacting a will for us. Say you'll be blessed. And you have now honor in society. Or you have now property in the community. It's the disposition of goods. So if you think of a benediction as an authoritative word of approval for the disposition of goods, then you understand why it is that Jacob and Esau were locked in such desperate conflict around the, the blessing of their father, Isaac. This is a social institution that predates biblical history, but when God begins to reveal himself to humanity, then he adopts this motif to describe how he wants to relate to his creatures. And so God blesses all the way through the Bible. God is blessing. This begins in creation. In Genesis 1.28, the Lord says to the man and the woman that he's just created, be fruitful and multiply. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful. God blessed them. This is certainly the creator is authoritative. It's an authoritative word. It speaks of approval because he said to them, I am well pleased with you. This is very good. It's a word of approval, this blessing. And involves the disposition of goods. He says, be fruitful, fill the earth. It's yours now. All the goods that I've just created, they now are yours. I confer them to you by this blessing. So God blesses in creation and then God blesses in redemption. And He created an institution on Mount Sinai, the priests. Not through Moses, but through his brother Aaron. To bless. Because this connection with God, this relationship that God had established at creation is ruptured by sin. And now the priests would have to offer sacrifices. And after they do, they would turn to the people, raise their hands, and give a word of blessing. In Deuteronomy 10.8, the twofold role of the priestly office is described. Priests are to stand before the Lord to minister to him and to bless in his name. So there on Mount Sinai, the very first time the priests did anything, Aaron stands after offering a sacrifice and he looks around the crowds, just as Jesus looks around the crowds. Jesus on, Mount, on this mountain in Galilee, Aaron on the mountain of Sinai in Egypt, he looks around and he raises his hands and he gives that great ironic blessing that we read in number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious on you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And God says, do that, and I will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. So finally, let's return to our two uh, framing questions. Who is the Savior, and how do we live with this good news? First, who is the Savior? 
I think the picture that Jesus gives of himself on the Sermon on the Mount is really this priestly picture. That's who offers benediction. So Jesus presents himself to his followers and the crowds as a great high priest. And he speaks God's benediction into their brokenness. He has the authority to do so. His signs and miracles testify to this. The greatest of all signs is his resurrection. And Matthew will note, interestingly, as he concludes his gospel in chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has the authority to speak a benediction over our lives. And and it's a, a word of approval. Jesus goes to the cross because he loves the world, because he wants to embrace the world. He wants his followers to know that there is therefore no condemnation for them because of his death as an atonement for sin. So now God approves of us. We are his adopted daughters and sons for the disposition of goods. Jesus gives us his presence, his peace, his power and the promise of heaven. And we see that using different words throughout these Beatitudes. He gives us so much. So if we see Jesus here as the great high priest, how do we live with this good news? I think there's an invitation to live within the benedictions of our Savior. And the first thing is we need to hear him blessing. Do you hear Jesus blessing you? So many of us are suffering. So many of us are struggling. I think what we need is some point today, if not right now, to imagine Jesus walking into the room, into your room, and speaking to you. And to hear him not give you some command or instruction, but simply to be present to you and say, I bless you. It's enough for me to say, I bless you. I want to bless you today. We need to hear that. We're not very good at hearing that. And then second, we have an invitation here to speak his blessing for others. I say it that way because it's really not a have to, it's more of a get to. What a privilege it is to speak the blessings of heaven into other people's lives. And it's so simple. Let me ask you this question. I've asked you this before. Who uniquely cares for and encourages you? Who do you have in your life who uniquely cares for you and encourages you? So many of us have to say, well, there's no one like that, George. There's no one like that. And if if that feels like it's even partially true for us, how much more true is it for the people who aren't here this morning? When you meet someone, it's one thing you can know, and that's that the playing field is wide open for you to step into their lives as an agent of healing and reconciliation. As a person who will be committed to them and to bless them. And that's what people need. That's what your roommate needs. That's what your child needs. That's what the person over the felt cubicle wall needs. That's what your spouse needs from you. That's what your neighbor needs, what your client needs. It's a word of blessing. It can be so simple. Just a few words of kindness. A few words of affirmation or encouragement. How do we do it? We do it by faith. Hebrews eleven twelve says that Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, by the way, by faith. Calling upon what he knew about God into a person's life. William Wilberforce one day was very discouraged. 
If you know William Wilberforce, he was a member of parliament in Britain who for years worked for the abolition of slavery and the resistance was great. One day he was ready to quit. John Wesley, his friend, on his deathbed, got word of this and asked for pen and paper and wrote a letter to Wilberforce in which he offered, I think, a blessing. Wesley wrote, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you'll be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. And Wesley would die six days later. But with that encouragement, Wilberforce would go on for years until within three days of his own death in 1883, slavery in the British Empire would be outlawed. Jesus wants to bless you. And he wants to call you to bless others. Let's pay attention to the Savior. I want to read this benediction for you one final time and hope you could hear it very personally in some ways. The Holy Spirit gains access to your spirit. I've paraphrased it a little bit, so it might sound different, but listen to this and receive it, if you would, from your Savior. You who are spiritually exhausted, I bless you. I am giving you the kingdom of heaven. You who have lost so much, your heart is broken, I bless you. I myself will be your comfort. You who feel impossibly small before looming powers and challenges, I bless you. You will inherit the earth itself. You who are starving for a moral character beyond your reach, I bless you. I will satisfy your appetite. You who are struggling close to pain and tragedy, I will support you with my own special mercy. You who can see nothing but raw yearning and unfulfilled longing, I will show you God himself. You who are left as orphans in the middle of deep conflict, I will make you one of my own children. You who have been pushed to the margin by a world without hope, you will be in the center of good company in heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for being the word made flesh, the very benediction of heaven. Come stepping into humanity in a way that we could hear. Come and lift us up from our broken context. Come and shed your light in the midst of our darkness. Give fresh strength to we who are weary. Let us hear this beautiful and blessed benediction. Let us believe it wholeheartedly that you are the one calling us into a beloved community to give witness to your blessing for this whole world. We are blessed to be a blessing. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.